Hello beautiful, you are listening to episode 102, Heal Your Community with Mary Unike Mwale on the Africana Woman podcast. Chulu is my name. I am a writer, personal brand consultant, entrepreneur, and mentor. Africana Woman's mission is to help you heal your heart, mind, and soul through the power of stories so as you can live healthy and wealthy lives. If this is your first time listening to Africana Woman, welcome, sis. But more importantly, apart from this episode, you have over a hundred stories to dive into. So go back, take a listen, be inspired, and learn from the sisterhood. This week is super fun in the Africana Woman community. So on Monday, 31st October, we are reviewing the sex lives of African women with the AWV book club. And then on Wednesday, 2nd November, the AWV masterclass is about leveling up your finances in 2023. And our mentor is the amazing Lelo Mashatile from Wisdom for Wealth. She is going to be teaching financial strategies that actually work and stick. Not that you start and then it stops and then it's like, what happened? What happened? You know, (laughs) you do not want to miss this. So to register for any of these events, all you have to do is visit AfricanaWoman.com. This conversation that you're going to listen to is a breath of fresh air. Shout out to Letty for having such a cool mom. When I tell you I have admired this woman from afar for a long time, I'm not joking. (laughs) Please enjoy. Mary Unique Mwale is a psychosocial counselor, former National Council of Catholic Women, NCCW leader, and World Union of Catholic Women Organization, WCWO, immediate past board member. She is a business person, a YouTuber, a mother, and a grandmother. I am so excited to welcome Auntie Unike to the Africana Woman Mike. Hi. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Now, guys, let me tell you how I first met Auntie Unike. So, her daughter is actually, we were actually in the same school at Fatima. Um, and we're in the same class, actually. So Auntie Unica used to come to Fatima to, you know, do the visiting, you visit your kids and all of that stuff. And she just had the most beautiful hair, you people. Like, you guys know this. I love white hair. And she has this, like, streak of white hair in, like, the middle, like, of her hair. And I'm just like, ah, I wish I was her. so good for my ego (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh she's so beautiful you should see her right now she's absolutely glowing she's always always so beautiful so i'm so excited like yeah we've been in and out of each other's lives for quite some time but yeah it's really um nice to have this conversation with her um okay so i always start with this question what is your favorite childhood memory Okay, I think before we get into that, NGOCC will kill me if I don't say I was um, a vice chairperson for the NGOCC board. So 
we get that out of the way. My favorite memory, I have so many. I don't even know where you want to start from because one where I spoke mostly about my childhood um, activities is a, a YouTube video that I made called um, Heal Your Community. So uh, on that video, I have explained how I was actually telling mom that if I lived in these days, if I was young in these days, I would actually have her locked up for child abuse, child labor. And she always used to laugh and say, right, so if I was abusing you, how come all the businesses that you are doing are based on what I told you? I didn't have an answer to that. <laughs> Growing up, my mother was um, a mistress, as we used to call them then, and um, also a leader for the Catholic women in those days. So she used to teach at social welfare halls. And there she used to teach uh, crocheting, knitting, sewing, cooking, baking, virtually everything. And then she also used to counsel. So I, from as early as 12, when she was busy with um, the Catholic women, she would tell me, okay, I'm not able to work today. So guess who's working today? And it's you, and I'm 12, so I must go and teach the women and the men what they need to do. And if anybody has any problems, I would note down and then tell her, no, such and such a person looked sad today. I think you need to take time to talk to, to her or him and find out what's going on. That's why I feel even in these days, those social welfare hosts that we used to have are really important because they really used to heal the communities. Because, you know, like most um, men then used to go to the villages to marry. So the women that they were bringing to town really had no family, no friends, no one that they knew. They were coming to town like for the first time. So when they go to these places, they meet other people, they would interact, learn about, you know, hygiene, cookery, what to feed the children, how to make sure they have healthy meals, and basically get to know people so that they can interact with them. And that is not happening now. And if they say now people are not marrying from the villages, I think people are still marrying from different towns and taking the ladies to other towns where they basically don't know people. And so it would be nice to have a place where you can go to to meet other people. So I learned cookery, baking, sewing, knitting, crocheting, and even counseling from as early as 12 from mom. Wow. Wow. There's so much that you've said in there. We're going to get to it. But first of all, I just wanted to get an understanding. Where did you grow up? Did, are you, are you, have you always been in Lusaka? No, I grew up in Chingola. I see. And then how many siblings yeah. do you have? 
I have um, 11 siblings. Not all of them are alive. We've lost um, about four. Mm. So what number are you? I'm number... I should actually say I'm number three because mom had a baby Mm. before, you know, her first baby. She didn't live long. She passed on. But mom always talked about her. Mm. You know, she always, uh, every time any of us had a birthday, she would say, oh, if Maggie had lived, she should have been so many years. Mm. If Maggie had lived, we would have celebrated her birthday, showing that, you know, it never really goes away. Yeah. But talking about it and always remembering, accepting that she was here, but she's gone, I think helped her to deal with that loss, Mm. which is something that I feel most people need to. I've talked a lot about um, people going to see uh, psychosocial counselors, psychologists, because, you know, some of these things, when you bury them and you don't talk about them, they have to come out in some other ways and they come out usually in negative ways. Mm. So I think her talking about her all the time was one way of dealing with that pain that she felt was a young girl. I think she was about 13, 14, you know, they used to get married so early those days. So she was very young and to have a baby and then doesn't live long Mm. was something that she had to deal with and that she eventually had to accept then there was my elder brother, who is late to me, he's so rest in peace. So now, I suppose I'm the first one since I'm the eldest, the uh, living yeah. eldest, yeah. 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 Wow. So did your mom also come from the village and then she came to the city or like what generation is she? Yeah, she did actually. She did come from the village, but dad was really exposed. Uh, dad um, is one person who used to like, like, not like most people, I guess, that time, used to go to South Africa for work, go mm. to Zimbabwe, and he too came to the village and uh, married mom. Mom was very clever at school, but she always complained that um, her elder brother, uh, who was not as clever as she was, was allowed to stay in school. Mm. As they said, you, you are a girl, you are going to get married, so we don't need you, to, we don't need to keep you in school, we just have enough money for one. So it has to be the boy. She always say, used to say, you know, if only I had been allowed to finish my school, I would have been one of the ministers, because I always passed number one. And my brother always was the last one in class, but still that didn't um, make the parents change, you know, thinking, okay, this is the one who's doing better, so let's keep her in school. They still preferred that the boy should be the one who stays in school. So she always complained about that. So she came from the village, and I think maybe that's what motivated her to to look for a way of uh, providing something for everybody to do somewhere for people who are lost like she was to have a place where they could go and interact and um, meet other people 
Yeah. yeah. Okay, so just set the scene for us. What year was this roughly? When you're saying like your mom came to the city, like what year is that? Because I think people need to understand like how like <laughs> how far back we're talking because we make a lot of assumptions about what used to happen mm-hmm. in the past. Okay, how about I say like uh, 45, 48 years ago? Does that give an idea? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, that that way, that far back. Yeah. Like, now I'm trying to do like the math for people. So that's like either the 70s or the 80s, huh? Not even the 70s. I think even earlier. 60s. Maybe the 60s, the late 60s, yeah. 60s that's fascinating i always like having conversations like this because you know you don't often sit down with somebody to find out how things used to be in the past um we just assume that things happen you know so do you think that your mom with the counseling that she used to do was that a natural thing or was it something that she like she went and got some training in no, actually, it was so natural that uh, it freaked me out when I decided to go to school and learn counseling. Because, you know, she used to just uh, counsel people as they came in, men, women, children, everybody. And because I was always with her, I would also, you know, listen in and monitor and watch what she was doing. And I also developed the same interest. But uh, later on, uh, when I, I was running um, an internet cafe, a lot of women who were coming from um, YWCA mm. who were traumatized, they would be sent to me to come and uh, talk to me. And I noticed that when I talked to these people, they would say, for the first time, I feel hurt. And, you know, that freaked me out. I was like, wait, I have not even been trained as a counselor. So how is it that a person who has been with someone who was trained says they're only feeling hurt after talking to me? And I was thinking I could be doing something wrong here. So let me go to school and make sure that I'm teaching or I'm doing things that are correct so that I don't end up damaging people further. So I took time to go to school, and you will not believe. I was so shocked when I was told the steps, you know, the counseling steps by, I think it's Sigmund Freud, that these steps were discovered by Sigmund in the year what, what, what. And I was like, what? That's what my mother used to do. And I don't think my mother even knew that those steps were actually... (laughs) They were discovered. Mm, Yeah. It was just common sense for her. Like someone comes in, you make them comfortable so that they come down. You talk about this, that, and then you get into it. And I didn't realize that uh, someone was actually getting paid for those steps, which just come naturally. So, you know, some of these things, um, <laughs> you know, that we, we, we feel with reading books are things that in Africa were there way back. Yeah. And we didn't even know that um, these are things we should record and say, you know, I, I, this is what I do and this is what I've discovered is the best way to go about this. 
but our friends document. Mm. And when you document something, then it really happened. But when it's not documented, it's virtually, it didn't happen. Mm. You know, so, so you that's why. write a book. Yeah, that would be interesting, you know. So that's what made me go to school because yeah. um, people now started sending people to me. And after that, I did, um, I canceled a pro bono at YWCA at the University of Zambia. And when I was at YWCA, there would be a queue of people waiting to be canceled by me when we have three, four other people also canceling. And they would say, but uh, you can go to the other room. And they're like, no, we will wait for you, Nikki. And, and I was only giving two days, uh, since it was pro bono, two days to the university, two days to IWCA, and then New Start Center, and later on, even at the university, teaching hospital. So it meant that those people would go, find I'm not there, find out when I'll be there, and come back on the day that I'm going to be counseling. And so I would be busy like the whole day. And then they would say, but you can talk to the other people. But they would say, no, it's fine. Whether it was couples, it was a single person, they all wanted to talk to me. So, and then at the university too, it was the same. You know, students, they were, you know, because when students are in natural sciences, they needed to see uh, a counselor before they can be allowed to to move from that school to the other schools. So you needed to look at how they were, you know, if are they really, do they really need to move? Are they really not able to continue? Because uh, the natural sciences was quite demanding. So I used to do that too. And I would recommend those that need to go and those that need to stay. So they would, the people, the students would also wait for me, no matter how, how busy I am. If I don't manage that day, they're like, we'll come when you come back. So, you know, it was things like that that were making me see that, you know, I really, even if I went, I, if I didn't go to school, I wouldn't have had the confidence that I now had. Because before, I just used to say, I'm just talking to people. You know, this one comes, you talk to them. And in fact, that's what led to me opening the YouTube channel, if you remember. You know, because I was thinking, okay, I'm talking to so many people and you were very instrumental. Thank you very much. I think you did so much to get me to where I am today. Because I was reaching out to you about how I want to do this counseling. Mm -hmm. How many people will I be able to attend to in a day? Oh, how is it going to go? And you were always there to listen to me when I was making sense or not. And thank you very much. So um, later on, I thought, okay, I'll be counseling two, three, four people maybe in a day. Yeah. And then uh, by the end of the day, by the end of the month, by the end of the year, how many people will I have reached? Mm. And I started feeling like really not that many And so I would like to reach more people. So how do I go about it? If the counseling one-to-one is not helping, how do I go about it? That's when I decided, okay, how about I open a YouTube channel? But then I was thinking, I open a YouTube channel, then what message do I have? Because when I open, when I counsel people on a one-to-one, people are coming with different issues 
and we are dealing with those issues. Now, if I open a YouTube channel in the hope of encouraging and uplifting people's lives, how do I go about that? So, hmm, okay, that is going to be interesting. Then I thought, wait, when I go for um, programs like uh, retreats, when I go for group meetings, the only thing that I always shared with the people that seemed to get people encouraged was my life stories. So I was like, why don't I share my life stories, you know? And so I decided, okay, that's the way to go. And so if you see, you, you watch most of my YouTube videos, they're about my life stories, different stages, different topics, and the feedback has been so overwhelming. It was not easy for me to say. In the first when I thought about it, I shared with family and friends, and I went, are you crazy? What? You're going to share? I'm like, but no, that's what I feel led to do. Like, you are mad. You can't do that. People will misunderstand you. They will not understand that you really just want to encourage people. So for some time, I let it go. But then I had no peace. And, you know, being a spiritual person, it's, you know, the Holy Spirit is always nudging, you know, you have to do this, you have to do this. I'm like, but I've been told it's not a good idea. But I had no peace until I said, oh, okay, I'm not going to talk to anybody. I'm just going to go ahead and do it. And I think I called you and I was like, I'm opening a YouTube channel. <laughs> you remember that, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so here we are. And I'm a YouTuber. I didn't even know there was a demo like a YouTuber. Now I even know that I is the YouTuber. So here we are. <laughs> oh, I love it. I absolutely love it. Oh, my goodness. Okay, 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 okay. So... <laughs> You know, October 10th um, is World Mental Health Day. And um, off, more often than not, I hear um, Africans speaking about, you know, mental health is something that people don't necessarily talk about in, you know, like the African setting, African homes. But like when I'm hearing you say like in the 1960s, your mother was counseling people, then it was there, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, and just like you said, it's... It's one of those things where if it's not documented, then, you know, did it happen or it didn't? It happened, yeah. Right? Um, it was Yeah. So for me, that's just like so interesting. Now, the community centers that you're speaking about, were those centers that were created by government? They were facilitated by government? Yes. And that's why I insist that, especially now with the CDF, Mm. Those are things that we could actually do. It's unfortunate that my stunt in Kaume didn't work out because my why I had actually wanted to become a member of parliament for my area, I thought that would be a way of me show, showcasing how this can be done and then allowing other constituencies to come and see and then you know, duplicate what I was doing because really that healed the community. And if we don't heal our communities, there's no way we are going to enjoy even the little that we have. We're always talking about robberies and, you know, things going wrong. People are hurting and they feel this one has so much. Why can't I go and get something? So people are hurting 
and they are looking to get stuff from those that are, they feel are okay. But if we work together, if we heal everybody, and if we are each brother's keeper, this can be minimized. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned how, um, so for example, let's say back then, probably still true today, where, you know, if a man is being abused, he's not very comfortable with talking about it, like just bringing it up and trying to get the help. Do you see that like right now with the people that you speak to, the people that you counsel, do you still think that men are a bit resistant to um, assistance? Um, They are skeptical because you know, men, unfortunately, are not given the space that the women are. And I say that because growing up, um, even us as mothers, and I hope this will come to an end, a boy has blood running through his veins, just like a girl has. When you cut a girl's um, vein, blood will come out. The same will do when you do it to a boy. And all of us have a masculine and a feminine part to us. And both should be allowed to thrive. So when a boy is told, don't cry, you have to be a man, he bottles up everything. And when things are bottled up, they have to come out one way or another. And they will come out in a negative way. So, and then usually when a boy or a man tries to reach out for help or explain that is uh, being abused, whether it's by other men or the women or whichever kind of abuse, the first thing that everybody does is laugh at, at them and say, what kind of a man are you? How can you say you're being abused by a woman? How can you say you're being abused by those people? Be, ma- you know, man up or things like that. So instead of listening to them, helping them, and showing them where they can go to get uh, help and also to acknowledge that this should not be happening. That rarely happens. So that puts off most men to reach out. So I'm hoping that this will change because men need to reach out. If men are not healed, there's no way the women are also going to be healed. We need to move together. We need to, the, the, the same chance that we give to women is the same chance that we give to men. The women are able to heal faster because we're able to cry and take, you know, lash out or whatever. So that comes out. But the men just watch. Sometimes you see someone just lock themselves up in the room. They don't talk to anyone. They just stick to the work. They don't do anything else. So there's no balance to how they're living their lives. And that really is not good for them, not good for anybody around them, not good for our families. So out of curiosity, do you think, um, I mean, I'll I'll talk in in the context of of, um, Zambia, for example, where when people are getting married, there's, um, there's lessons and counseling and things like that. Do you think there's enough, um, lessons i guess for the men or is there any i don't think there's enough now there's been um, a lot of talk about that happening 
And I think slowly we'll get there. But uh, I think we need to sensitize, especially the people that are involved in counseling couples, that not only should they counsel the ladies, they need to counsel the, um, the men as well. Because the women are counseled uh, about how they're supposed to take care of their men. But the men are not counseled in that way. And then later on, you know, we are not taught about what happens eventually because when you are young, everything is running okay. There's no underlying issues. There's no BP. There's no sugar. There's everything is running okay. Now imagine a situation where you get older as a couple and maybe the man is uh, having erectile issues, for example. And it was never taught to the woman that eventually, because of age, because of um, underlying issues, this man may have problems and may not function the way that you are used to him functioning. So this is how you can help him. This is how you can help yourselves as a couple. And therefore, life goes on. Instead, it's quiet. So when that happens... When for some reason the man is not able to be the one that she knows, then there's problems. Then immediately he's got a girlfriend. And problems start at home and men are so shy. They will not explain that, no, I don't have a girlfriend. I'm just having these issues. So this is something that both uh, the men and the women need to be taught so that when such things happen, they say, yeah, you know, we, we were taught this can happen. So how do we go about it? Let's go to the hospital. Let's go for counseling. Let's heal each other, you know, help each other here and see how what else we can concentrate on if this is not what we want it to be. But that doesn't happen, you know? Yeah. I'm also thinking around how... I don't believe there's enough conversations about how to handle money together as a couple, you know? And I find more often than not that people separate because of finances and not being able to communicate about finances. What advice would you give about that? I think that is the conversation you need to have on the onset. As soon as before you even get married, you as a couple must have certain conversations. I know as ladies, we say, what is mine is mine, and what is yours is ours. And some people take that very seriously. I know of a, a friend where we argued about that because she, you know, she was cooking, and she wanted, uh, she, she discovered that we had run out of tomato. And tomato is not expensive. So the husband was at work. And I was like, yeah, I'll just send the garden boy to the roadside to buy the tomato. And she was like, no, the money that he gave me has run out. So there's no way I'm spending my own money to buy the tomato. I was, I freaked out. I was like, are you serious? You're the one cooking. You're also going to eat the same food and you can't use your own money just because his money is what should be used in the home. 
So I think as a couple, there's need for such conversations. There's need for women and men to feel for each other, you know, to have compassion for each other. Because if you care for your wife, you want to make sure that she's happy and she's comfortable. If you care for your husband, you want to also make sure he's happy and he's comfortable. You're not going to be saying, because this is mine, this is his, therefore he will come home and eat um, food that has no necessary spices because his money has run out. No, I think uh, those conversations need to happen when you decide you're getting married. Say, okay, how are we going to handle this? How are we going to handle this? And when you're getting into it, you already know how it's going to play out. But if you say, no, we'll get to that bridge when we get there, then these are the issues we're having, we're finding. And, you know, in the end, people just pack up and leave. People beat up each other. So all those, because we didn't really take the time to have the conversation when we needed to. So if we... I'm I'm going back to, you know, like a community center in communities. What do you believe can be done to push this agenda forward? Because I think, like you said, um, so just for context, uh, people who are not from Zambia, like the CDF is a fund which is a, it's called Community Development Fund, right? Um, yes, so it's a, yes. a government-issued um, fund to different communities. So it's it's dispersed those funds and then people can apply for it. And then they, um, they, you know, they give a plan of how they were going to use the money and then obviously use it wisely. Um, but I think let's say beyond that, what do you think people can do as communities, um, to have something like that, to bring people together and say, let's work together as a community. Because I feel like we've also come to a point and I'm also guilty of this. I won't even lie. <laughs> we've also come to a point where we're so comfortable in our yards. Huh? These walls that we've put up the fences, we don't know our neighbors and things like that, you know? Yeah. No, that is so true. We are too comfortable. And I wish there was a way of um, breaking down these walls. Because really, you know, when you think of even the recent issue of girls being abducted and uh, no one, no, no one in the neighborhood knowing about it, I feel that that's so sad, you know? Because we've made prisons. In fact, when I say prisons, I remember when we were coming back from New Zealand, my daughter, my eldest daughter, was, was about five, six, maybe seven. So when we're coming from the airport, you know, the first houses she saw were houses with fences with uh, barbed wire on top. And she was like, Mom, why are we going to the prisons? I was like, no, these are not prisons. These are homes. And, you know, because when we were in New Zealand, the gate you have is just a little gate just to keep the child in or to keep, if you have a pet, your pet in. We never had fences. I, I think even up to now, they don't have such wall fences. So I think uh, having those fences means we don't know each other. We don't care. Someone could be killed in the next uh, door neighbor, and you won't even know. Someone could die and rot for days. You only know when you see flies because of the way we are living. 
So I think it would really help if uh, that community kind of um, uh, neighborhood would be brought back. And it's not something that would be very difficult to do. Maybe the offenses would be a bit difficult because people have paid monies and uh, still to take time to socialize them to a well, a, a time when they feel they are safe. But um, if we have community places, we used to have uh, a lot of um, places where children, like play parks in every community. But now all those places have got houses built on them. There's virtually nowhere a child can go to play in the neighborhood that is safe. But if we had at least community places in every, like now, these are what we're calling CDF, the Constituency Development Fund. This is for all constituencies. So if each constituency insisted that each ward had a place where people could socialize, where people could meet and learn different uh, things. Now it's, it's all about computers. So instead of sticking to baking and uh, crocheting and whatever, they could add modern things that uh, make sense for the modern um, livelihood. So those places could do a whole lot if they could have them in every community. And it would be up to the constituency to say, okay, we'll have them in every ward, or in each ward we'll have so many, according to the issues that they see they are grappling with. So really, if that was done, I think we would change in no time. People would be, you know, happier for it. Yeah. All right, Auntie Unike, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Please let the audience know where they can find you. How can they hear more of your stories? Because you have a lot of stories. Yeah. How do we support you? Uh, you can support me by uh, going to YouTube and searching Auntie Unike. And this is Auntie A-U-N-T-Y. And Unike is Y-U-N-I-K-E. And this is this support goes both ways because there are topics that cut, cut across. You'll be able to share with your children, with your parents, with your grandparents. And I think they're really good for all of us. I'm so happy that the Holy Spirit has allowed me to be able to come up with all these topics. So please enjoy them and share them. And of course, subscribe and like. I love it, you guys. A proper YouTuber. Like, hey. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have you ever sat down with your elders as an adult and just talked about their lives, their past? I highly recommend that you do it. There's so much you don't know. Our history books, yeah. Mm, they're not great, huh? <laughs> they're not the greatest. <laughs> and there is so much that, you know, that wasn't written. And it's in people's minds. It's in their memories. So 
capture those thoughts. Oh my gosh, those memories. My favorite part of this conversation is when Auntie Unike explained how her mother was a natural counselor. Manje, our friends in foreign lands, ne? they like to be credited for discovering things, discovering America, discovering <laughs> the Victoria Falls. My goodness. Yet a 13-year-old child did not get to finish school, came to the big city, and just did what was naturally in her heart. Yo. As you know, in Africana woman, we say, know your roots, grow your purpose. No stands for knowledge, nourish, operate in obedience and weakness. When auntie was describing, you know, what the spirit had put on her heart to reach more people through YouTube. And first she was, you know, she was denying it and running away from her instruction. But eventually she had to operate in obedience. That's what it means. If you are listening to this episode, you know what you have been told to do. The spirit has told you. He done told you what you need to do. But you keep resisting. You're making excuses. If Antiunike can become a YouTuber, guys. Despite her age, despite the technology gap, despite her family's outcry, what is stopping you? You can do anything you desire to do. Whatever excuse you have, it is unacceptable. So help me say thank you to Auntie Unike. Find her channel on YouTube called Auntie Unike. Subscribe and let her know you heard her on the Africana Woman podcast. Visit AfricanaWoman.com to find out what is happening in the community. Remember, you are worthy of the life you dream of. You can create something that has never been seen before. Dream big, just start and evolve with Africana Woman. All you have to do is join the movement. So visit AfricanaWoman.com. This has been a production of Africana Woman Media, the number one podcast production house.